Uh, welcome to Rock Bible Church, Christ-centered, biblically-based, compelling, casual community. We are compelling ourselves and others to Christ in casual ways that welcome all to worship, being a community that serves a greater community. Amen? And we, we did a little bit of community last night. Tacos flying and uh, pens, people stabbing each other to try and win their bids and stuff like that. It was such a great night. And uh, thank you uh, to you as a congregation for just the level of support and jumping in. There were like 100-ish people. Um, but this is one of the ways we use to raise funds to build homes for people who need a home. And uh, it's just a great opportunity. And, and um, I forgot to mention this last night at the thing. We build two homes per year that are 24 by 24. Um, that's the equivalent of four of our builds from previous years. It used to be that we would do a 12 by 24, just one a year. Um, we're doing four of those a year. They're attached two and two, one in April, one in June. And that becomes two full-size 24 by 24 homes. Um, that's pretty amazing. Um, and that's because we started uh, doing two builds each trip, and then we had too many people. So we did a second trip, and we do two builds on that um, trip as well. So um, I think there's still time. If you want to go in summer, uh, the spring trip is, is cut off. Uh, but if you would like to be involved in that, I'm sure Jan would love to have you, and so would I. So uh, be thinking about that. But thanks for last night. It was great. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's, um, let's jump into uh, our, our continuing series on Hosea. We're chapter 5 today. Uh, Hosea being a um, prophet, probably from the northern kingdom, the ten tribes up north. And um, they were um, in trouble. They've been, uh, let's say, goofing around and doing some of the wrong things, right? That's the shortest, most uh, light way to say it. Um, and God comes on the scene and says, hey, this has got to stop. You've forgotten how this works. Um, who's in charge? Uh, what blessing looks like? Um, obedience has gone out the window. And so uh, he, he tells Hosea, let's, let's talk to him. You know? Now, the first couple chapters uh, we've gone through already, they talk about uh, God basically commanding Hosea, hey, go find a prostitute, and you're going to be married to her. And, and that whole analogy, um, that's pretty much gone at this point. Uh, we're, in, we're like three chapters into poetry now, and it's all prophetic poetry. Um, and this is kind of fun and kind of a, a new thing for, for RBC, for us, um, because we've tended to do epistles and narrative type passages. This is one of the first times we've really spent a, a bunch of time in poetry. Um, and so that's kind of fun for me. Um, so let's pray and we'll have more fun. Lord, thanks for this morning. Uh, thanks for last night. Thanks for people that serve and work and uh, whose hearts are dedicated to you. And what a great experience that was. And may we be reminded that that is exactly what the passage this morning is talking about. This prophet, this book, your relationship with them and the northern kingdom, talking about what does it mean for your heart to pursue God and then to serve. 
And I pray, Lord, that as we look at this passage, you would be spurring on our hearts and minds, uh, drawing our attention to the things that we need to see, uh, think, and feel. And then, Lord, um, may it be a blessing to you uh, and a blessing to us as it honors your Son. Uh, through your Spirit, we pray it in your Son's name, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, Hosea chapter 5, verse 1 uh, hear this, O priest. Now, this is um, interesting because now we're plural. He, he, was, he talked to the priest singular a chapter ago. Now, all of a sudden, we're priests plural. He's talking about pay attention, O house of Israel, second line there. That's the northern kingdom, those 10 tribes. And he's probably talking to their priests. Um, uh, when you talk to a priest, there's some argument that, well, we might be talking about the southern kingdoms because in Judah and Jerusalem with um, Benjamin, the, other, the second tribe in the, in the south, uh, there'd be one priest in the temple, pretty much it, right? Well, when you go up north, they start making up their own rules. It's like, well, we're up here and there's a bunch of Canaanites. Let's just mix our religion with their religion and they do these things and we'll kind of incorporate that. And, and they synchronized religious practices. And this is what God's upset about. And so he's talking to all those priests in, in some way. Give ear, O house of the king. Now, you should, you should chuckle. I'm going to say it again, and I want you to just fake the chuckle or force the chuckle if you need to, okay? And then I'll explain it after, right? Give ear, O house of the king. <laughs> yeah, that's cute, isn't it? House of the king as opposed to temple of the Lord. Oh, you've got a little cute place where your king sits, which by the way, shouldn't be a king because where's the king supposed to be? Down in the south because kings only come from which tribe? Judah, one of the two in the south. So are these real kings? Not according to God. Um, but they said, hey, let's just set up our own kingdom up north and let's just, just kind of do what we want to do. I mean, after all, God wants us to be happy and have our way, right? Super bad logic. Uh, get you in trouble logic and, um, and in a hurry. Quick, fast, and in a hurry. Uh, for the judgment is for you. Um, we're going to come back to that underlined statement, O house of the king, um, because what I want you to see is this is how it starts, this section of poetry. And um, we're going to come back and revisit that in a little bit. But uh, they're in trouble, and so there's this judgment. Uh, you've been a snare at Mizpah, and a net spread upon Tabor. These are places up in the north. You've, you've created problems there. And the revolters have gone deep into slaughter, but I will discipline all of them. All right, we're going to fix, he says, I'm going to fix this. Now Ephraim, which is another name for the north, and Israel is not hidden from me. This is um, like an obvious statement. What's he, what's he reminding them? The same kind of thing that um, Jonah probably learned the hard way. What can you never do? You can't hide from God, right? There's that little word there, hidden. And they thought they could go up north and just do whatever they want. And God's up saying, I see you, right? Hide and seek never works with him. And now, O Ephraim, you have played the whore. Israel is defiled. 
Um, I want to point out, and, and this, is, um, this is a reading technique for Hebrew poetry. Uh, most of the time, we, as in our Western culture, we read things and we think it's linear, right? Uh, or chronological. Oh, this is the beginning, and this is the middle, and this is the end. Um, a lot of Hebrew writing works differently. Um, they'll, they'll start you in the middle, and then they'll repeat it. Then they'll go back to the beginning, and then they'll show you the end so that they can take you back to the beginning and then say, this is why it was in the middle. And you're kind of spinning like, was I just in a boxing match? You know. Um, and the other thing uh, in pointing this out is a lot of times they'll say the same thing twice with just different words. Can, could you say that again, but in different words? You know, somebody says something and you're a little confused. And they, could, you, could you repeat that only? Explain it, right? This is why you get Ephraim and then Israel, Ephraim and then Israel. We're talking about the same things. The first two is a pair, um, and the second two is a pair. And there's a phrase for it, and it's slipping my mind in Hebrew um, when you study Hebrew, which apparently I did, but there's no proof of it because I can't remember the word right now, right? <clears throat> Chiasm. There you go. There's your word. Why do we need that, Scott? You don't. Okay? But when we read, we want to see the pairs as they go through. And you'll see that more and more as we go through the next few chapters. Um, their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. This is uh, a little bit ironic or should make, give you the feel of, wait, didn't we hear a return earlier just a little bit ago? Yeah, uh, because God tells Hosea, uh, go again and love, or return and love, right? He says, but some people can't return. Why? They're blinded. They're headed one direction so far, and they're uh, worse than blinded. How about enticed? I'm chasing this thing, and I'm just going to keep chasing this thing, and I'm very excited, and I want to have that experience and see what it's like, and I'll check in with God later. Sound dangerous? what God's saying. It's like, be careful, because then at some point, you've gone beyond the point of no return, right? It's not a phrase we came up with. The concept was, goes at least back to Hosea. For the spirit of whoredom is within them, and they know not the Lord. So in your experience with God, as you do some of these things, it's not just that you can't return, but you can't know. Um, so you're, you're losing experience and you're losing knowledge. That's a, that's a rough combination there. The pride of Israel de testifies to his face. Israel and Ephraim shall stumble in his guilt. Judah also shall stumble with them. Ooh, you're going to take down the south now um, because you're going to go so far that the, the south, Judah, is going to get a little distracted. Don't worry, I know that never happens to you. you. You never get distracted by other people's behavior, right? Um, verse 6, with their flocks and herds, they shall go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. Ooh, that's a rough one. He has withdrawn from them. I remember uh, we had back a little bit an underlined thing. It said the house of the king. Oh, you got a house and you think you got a king and that's where you're doing your thing? You do your thing, I'm going to withdraw. It's weird. 
Okay, let's have a theological argument or a discussion. How about that? Instead of an argument. I thought God was everywhere all the time. In fact, ever present, right? Omnipresent. You ever heard that theological phrase? I mean, shoot, we've taught it at least four or five times in this church over the history of the last 11 years. Um, it's basic doctrine. God is everywhere at all times, period. Amen? Amen? How does he withdraw then? I have a logical problem. I mean, maybe it's not a theological problem. Maybe it's just a logical problem. The theo is fine. It's the logical that's the trouble, right? Um, is this true withdrawal or withdrawal of your experience? Does God withdraw himself and can he no longer be ever present? No, that can never happen. That's a logical fallacy. But your experience can feel like he has withdrawn from you or he has withdrawn blessing, right? Um, one of the great things, can I use you as a, as a um, prop? Okay, this is fun. You won't get messy and you won't be touched, all right? One of the great concepts in Scripture of our God is that, is that God comes many times and provides a covering, right? What if he were to withdraw that covering? He's still there, but maybe that's what's withdrawn. Um, would Judy's experience be much different if God was not covering her compared to when he does cover her? Um, I don't know about you, I want to be covered, Right? Best insurance policy ever. Uh, they have dealt falsely, verse 7, with the Lord. Sorry, not falsely. They have dealt faithlessly with the Lord, for they have borne alien children. We're back to our uh, analogy of having a wife who cheats on you and then has a child of someone else. But this would actually be literal as well, because the northern kingdom, they've mixed with Syria, they've mixed with Samaria. In fact, Samaria com it comes to be known historically as like a melting pot, right? And he, he has said, look, we're not doing that. Uh, because when you do that, you take on all these other religions and you stop following God. He said, so don't mix, because I want to show you what it's like to be blessed so you could be a blessing. Where he's trying to keep that covenant from the beginning with Abraham going. Now the new moon shall devour them with their fields. And this could be a, a little point poke, poking at some of the gods they might uh, be following who control the moon and control harvest, and the, or they think they do. right? And he says, yeah, well, the things you think your false gods control, those are going to be the very things that take you. Um, does that sound like things we might pursue today in our modern culture? Are there things that we could pursue that could then consume us? I don't know, popularity, wealth, physical experience, uh, chemicals. The answer is yes, right? And all of the above can do that. Um, and then, so it goes, uh, verse 8. Blow the horn in Gibeah, the trumpet in Ramah, sound the alarm in Beth Aven. We follow you, O Benjamin. This is like a weird little break. As we were talking about the north, and all of a sudden it goes into, now we're going to blow a horn and a trumpet? What are we doing? Sound the alarm in Bethlehem. Where are these places? Um, Benjamin is your hint. Benjamin is one of the two tribes in the south. These are all places in the south. And Hosea is telling them, keep sounding the trumpet. Keep calling people back to God. 
Stick with it, South. Don't get distracted. Right? Um, we're going to come back to this later, too. You'll see in a bit. Uh, Ephraim, verse 9, shall become a desolation. We're back to all of a sudden. One verse, we all of a sudden are talking about the South, and boom. Verse 9, we're back to the North. Ephraim shall become a desolation in the day of punishment. Among the tribes of Israel, I make known what is sure. Among the tribes of Israel, I'm the one who shows you what truth is. I'm the one who pulls back the curtain. I'm the one who shows clarity, shines a light. I am the one who gives you real experience. So whatever you think you're pursuing, know this. Who's in charge? Right? With what you want, you think you know. Blah, 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 blah. Stop it. Pursue me. That's what we sound the trumpet about. Uh, the princes of Judah have become like those who move the landmark. Uh-oh, the south's getting in trouble. Sound the trumpet because you're getting in trouble. Careful. Those that move the landmark. What? what is, move a landmark. Why would you move a landmark? Right? In fact, let's talk about this for a second. What's the purpose of a landmark? We had several landmarks last night right we did our whole thing and then we were cleaning up and there were tables rolling out and garbage going out and then we had all these chairs and the first chair we sat down you know what it was it was this one right here why this one i'll teach you the nerdiness of your pastor a little mark on the stage that is dead center and if I stand at that mark and look at the center of the back two doors, I know what middle of the room is. And this became, I set it on that, so I got three seats here and three seats there, and this became the what? What are we talking about? Landmark. It's the landmark that we build from. Right? It delineates boundaries and gives guidance. Why would you move a landmark? Well, you know, Scott, I, I know you have the seats a certain direction, but we're going to change it up. You move landmark if you want to change something. Uh, for them, if we go literal, they're marking what? Land. This is about property. Generally, the phrase is, what happens when you move, try to move somebody's property line? Get a rope. <laughs> right? I mean, that, that, them's fighting words. Um, if God has landmarks in Judah... And they start moving them. That's an indictment, isn't it? You're trying to change God's definitions of where he thinks things should be because you want to have your own cute idea? Uh-oh. Isn't that what the North did? They created their own high places, their own little synagogues, and they did worship up there and they changed the landmark of where you were supposed to do things. Now Judah's doing the same thing, right? Upon them I will pour out my wrath like water. Now I thought about doing an analogy like a bottle of water and just pouring it out. And, and here's the problem. The analogy would happen here and we'd have the same problem that they're trying to point out. Like when you just start pouring out water, where's it go? And everywhere, anywhere it wants, it becomes a mess. It just, right? And it spreads out. 
That's the picture of this wrath. Right? Ephraim is oppressed, verse 11, crushed in judgment because he was determined to go after what? Filth. Fun. One of the few times in Scripture you'll find that word filth like that. Um, they're chasing the wrong things. Uh, verse 12, this is kind of fun, and that's why you got a little green there, right? Uh, but I, uh, I am like a moth to Ephraim. They act like I'm a moth. Who's speaking? Not Hosea. This is God speaking now. Uh, the north acts like I'm a little moth. What's a moth? It's bothersome. It's this stinky little thing that flies around. It's, it's a little bigger than a fly, but not, not valuable enough to even be called a butterfly. Right? This little thing that kind of gets in the way, and it's kind of annoying, but really is inconsequential. Right? Um, Next uh, slide, verse 14, for I will be like, oh, sorry. Let's go, let's start from the top. How about that? Thank you. Verse 12, but I am like a moth to Ephraim and like dry rot to the house of Judah. Dry rot comes from stagnant, nothing happening. We don't even have water. It's just dry and is there value there? It's the exact opposite of value. Verse 13, when Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound. Uh-oh. Remember I told you we'd do things in pairs? I couldn't remember that word, chiasm, right? Um, weren't we pairing Ephraim with Israel? North with the north, just two different ways to say the same thing. What just happened? What just changed? Ephraim saw his sickness, Ephraim is north, and Judah south, his wound. Ooh, now we're, now we're pairing both the whole kingdom that was never supposed to be divided, uh, and they're both in trouble. Is, is Judah uh, gone off the deep end, maybe? Or at least is headed that direction? Then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the great king, but he is not able to cure you or heal your wound. Ooh. Careful. Um, this has to do with uh, the war and area of the time. Uh, the north had made a deal with Syria and um, wanted an alliance to kind of protect themselves from Assyria. Um, that didn't go very well. And Judah said they wouldn't join the alliance. And so uh, Israel attacks Judah. And then in the midst of all this, Assyria comes in and says, because uh, Judah then reaches out to Assyria and says, hey, uh, could, could you help us? And now you have a, a Syria-Israel-Judah-Assyria war. Rough. Assyria actually comes in and ends up um, taking everybody out. Right? Uh, they end up being the dominant world power for a while. In fact, in the history of Israel, uh, when, when Israel was conquered, uh, there's a great little ABC thing you can remember of who was in charge for a while. First the Assyrians took over, that's your A. Then the Babylonians conquered Assyria and they took over and they were the world power. And then Cyrus of the Persians, the Persians took over Babylon and conquered everything. Um, you go for outside help, you'll get outside help. And your outside help 
will help themselves. Now, is God in the land at this point anymore? Yeah, he is. But does Israel even exist? No, those 10 tribes get wiped off the planet. Judah goes into um, uh, captivity. Uh, Benjamin kind of doesn't really exist too much really either. And now we get the stories of like Daniel, right? Where are they? They're off in Babylon. And we get the stories of Cyrus, the king, saying, hey, should we go back and rebuild? Why would we have to rebuild? Because the place got decimated because you went to foreign nations for help rather than turning to God. That's kind of what this reference is toward. Um, he sent to the great king and, and tried to um, have a negotiation. They ended up at war. Um, but what's the mocking part? Remember we started the chapter, hey, house of the king? If you're the king, why do you have to go beg from another great king, right? The Assyrian great king, why? Because he's the one that's most powerful. And then watch what happens. But he's not able to cure you or heal your wound, for I will be like a lion to Ephraim. Moth? Oh, that's cool. No, no, no. Please don't mistake a lion for a moth. And please don't mistake who's actually king. Um, there's some great symbolism here going all the way back to the days of Eli, uh, the prophet and, or excuse me, the priest and Samuel, when they were kind of doing their thing and they didn't have a king and all the surrounding countries had kings and they said, give us a king. We must have a king. Everybody else has one. So they get a king, Saul, and then after him and it keeps going. And in the very beginning, uh, God was angry with the Hebrews. And his phrase is, oh, that I would be your king. Right? And he says, you're going to get a king, and here's what's going to happen when you get a king. He's going to take your women, he's going to take your sons, send them off to war, he's going to tax it. You think it's going to be so great to have a king? Wrong. And so here we see it playing out again, continuing to happen. Right? Uh, and then this is the the chiasm, the pair, you know, I will be like a lion, right? And like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. What do, what do lions do? What are lions known for? Like if a lion walked in, you're just going to relax and... No? Right? You're going to make sure you're not the slowest one in the room, right? Because what's the lion going to do? They attack, kill, and eat. Yeah, they tear stuff apart, have their fill, and then they leave, right? They don't eat the whole, yeah, they leave it for the birds of the air, the carcass, right? Um, this is the analogy that we're going with. Um, and is, is it literal? Is, does God go away? Remember I told you, I mean, theologically, he's everywhere. So he goes away in experience. He goes away in blessing, in covering. Um, and I will carry off, and no one shall rescue. I'm going to carry off? Yeah, we're back to the lion analogy, right? We got a pair here. I'm going to tear them up and then go away, or maybe I'll just kill it and then drag it off because I'm going to go eat it somewhere else. You seen lions do that too, right? Absolutely. Uh, God mad? Say yes. yes. Right? Okay, people at home, say yes, because the people here are really quiet. 
Uh, verse 15, this is the last verse, and I will return again to my place. I will return again to my place. How could he return if he never left? What's the place that we're talking about? House of the king? Or how about the position of the king or the status um, for who, who is your Lord? He's going to return to his place in function for the people because they're going to finally re-acknowledge that, oh, God is supposed to be the head, the point. He sets the landmarks. We follow him. And he's saying, I will return again to that place. It's not a physical statement. It's an experiential statement in the hearts and minds of those who should have had God in that place all along. It's a great little, great little phrase. Uh, Until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress, earnestly seek me. God will... Well, this will be fun. God will do distress. Does God do distress? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know when people name their kids? They're, they're happy names, right? Anybody who's like, oh, I think I'm, I'm having a boy. I think I'll name him Cain. No, that doesn't really happen anymore, right? Cain killed Abel. No, we might like Abel, or we go with hope. Grace, all these great fun names, right? Um, what are they meant to rep- represent? Goodness, positivity, um, theology, happy day, God's on our side, that kind of thing. Um, anybody name their kid distress? No? I got. I, I have a suggestion for you, and this is... Again, how my twisted mind works. Rather than name him distressed, let's just call him Ernest. That's a name, right? Ernest? We actually have people who are named that, right? What's, What's that name mean? When you're Ernest, this is the interactive portion of the morning, by the way. What are you doing, trying, or being? Actively seeking, faithful is a, another way to say that. Those are great ways to say that. Honorable, trying hard. We would name our kid Ernest if we did because we wanted to show how we're to pursue God. Or let's just go straight to the passage and use the word how we're supposed to seek him. And when you, when you, when your name's not earnest and you're not seeking him, life will get what? Underlined? Distressful, right? We have to add the full there. It, it will get distressful or distressing. Can we just get off the distress? <laughs> right? Um, may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Okay. Uh, there's a lot here. It's so fun. Like all the little idiosyncrasies and nicks and crannies, let's take three thoughts from them. Um, Because what we're trying to figure out here is um, who who is God? Where is he in all this? I mean, Hosea's functionally disappeared. Gomer is long gone, a couple chapters ago. So what's God doing? 
What's he saying? I mean, is this all just bad news? Because quite frankly, folks, we, we have like nine more chapters of Bummer Sunday, depending on how you want to look at it. So we need to uncover what's in here, right? What, what are we really trying to look at? Um, and we notice it says um, at the top of your outline, Hosea 5, it says, blow in his cover, right? When you blow someone's cover, what have you done? You've exposed them, like you revealed, oh, they're a spy, <gasps> right? And we usually uh, say it as some kind of like we've done something negative. We've created a risk for whoever we've blown the cover of. Um, I want you to take that and flip it on its head. Because when we actually figure out where God is and we blow his cover, that's great news. The fact that he can never leave, but you can have an experience like he's withdrawn, ooh. Now there's another way to look at this, right? Because you know I'm all about double meanings, right? A or B, and we say both, right? Um, blowing his cover could also mean he, he was trying to cover you, protect you, and you blew it. And he said, oh, all right, I'll withdraw the cover. I'll, I'll hold back blessing. I'm still here right next to you, and you won't even be able to find me because you refuse to look. Right? So there's a little bit of double meaning in this that was fun for me. Um, and I put there in the, in the verse reference at the top, it's verse 8. And, and I, I'm going a little nerd this, this week, I know, and I'm having way too much fun. But if you have 15 verses, what's the middle verse? This is one of the easiest questions we've ever asked at church. Hey, number 8. Number eight is right in the middle between number one and number 15. And if you remember when we read this, it says, blow the horn in Gibeah, the trumpet in Ramah, sound the alarm in Bethaven. We follow you, O Benjamin. We were talking about the north, first seven verses, and then all of a sudden this weird verse about trumpet and the horn, and now we're talking about the south. And in the last seven verses, all of a sudden the south goes wonky, and it... This is the dead middle verse of the poem. And I need you to see that in Hebrew poetry, a lot of times the most important thing is dead center on purpose. Blow the trumpet. Sound the alarm. Why? Because we need to know where God is in the middle of all this. Right? And if we're going to blow his cover, either way you want to mean that, um, it means we've, we, that seeing authentic value means we honor his landmarks. We have to see what authentic value is. Um, there's another word we use uh, for that. It starts with T and rhymes with Ruth. Um, if we want to see truth or authentic value, if we want clarity, if we want direction, um, forgiveness, healing, all these different things, then you see authentic value. Fill-ins, please. It means we honor his landmarks. What did it say they were trying to do? They were trying to move the landmarks. I thought about this um, a few times. Why do, why do churches fail? You, you can imagine I've thought about this a few times. All right. 
We're smiley happy right now talking about this. But there's been times of fear when I wonder, what does it take to kill a church? I got one of the answers right here. Move his landmarks. Why have so many churches failed in the past? Hey, I know it's uh, supposed to be a doctrine, but uh, I don't like it. So we're going to set it aside and we're not going to deal with it that much. Oh, that passage is difficult. We're going to skip over it. Hopefully someone will figure that out some other time on their own. Uh, there's certain things we don't move, right? We don't change the things that he's defined. And guess what? Our culture loves to. Oh, we're just going to change that. We're going to change this definition. We're going to change this pursuit. Um, we're going to change this perspective of how we look at things. You know, that truth is individual. Well, that's true for you. I have my own truth. Wrong. <laughs> that's not true. The idea of universal truth. That there is sin. That there are places and things that you should do because God commands. Period. Whether you understand them or not. That marriage is meant to function a certain way. That money has rules. That math is important. Right? There's all these different things. And God says, look, you start trying to move the landmark. Uh, you have no shot at truth. Um, and you'll be doing fake all the time. Like fake leads to fake. That should be another fill-in, right? Fake leads to fake. And it just, and fake grows. It's like a virus. Right? Okay, no more virus talk. I know too much for the last two years, right? All right, so seeing authentic value means we honor his landmarks. Mm, before we move on to the next one, does this sound like Jesus? You know, a great um, statement that the devil makes to Jesus, like if you're really the son of man, then call down your angels and call down, and what Jesus say? I don't move landmarks. We don't do that here. I'm sticking with the plan, right? And what a plan. Cross? Hey, uh, God, you know, if, if this cup should pass for me, that'd be, that'd be great, but not my will, but thy will be done, right? Jesus puts that in the prayer that he gives us an example for, right? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's he saying? Show us your landmarks. Because we want to understand how it works. What's it? Life, me, them, all, both, each. We, we want to figure that stuff out. Uh, Jesus, uh, like, did it in spades. He came down and every single thing he honored God's landmarks in ways that none of them understood. Uh, the way he treated women, the way he responded to authority, his interactions with his own parents, what he did at a wedding reception, walked on water. Whoa. Um, 
Does he have the corner on truth? He sure does. I imagine there's something about that in he is faithful to his own definitions. That is what we mean when we say God can never change. Right? He sticks to his own definitions. Love that. Uh, second one. I'm blowing his cover. Uh, ne neglecting God is like ignoring a lion. I said uh, earlier, I said, what do lions do? And you guys were all quiet. And I said, well, if a lion came in here, what would you do? Right? And you guys all, <laughs> you laughed a little because I said, you just relax. And no. no. Um, he says, make no mistake. There's nothing moth about me. We call um, lions, what's the fun phrase we use for lions? King of the jungle, right? Uh, the lion of Judah is one of the phrases for God. Judah being the tribe, right? Um, when, you, when you ignore God, how's that go? You're going to get eaten alive. You know, that was never God's intent. Because what does he want? He wants us. He wants relationship. But always remember, when you're in a relationship with the lion, you better be careful. Right? Who were the two trainers? Were long time, I, I can't remember their names. Siegfried and Roy. They know this, right? Because recently one of the lions got one of them, right? Careful, because he's still a lion. One of my favorite things about lions is the phrase from uh, Narnia books, right? C.S. Lewis's series, uh, I think it was it seven books. Um, and uh, Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, I believe it's that book where they're having a discussion. One of the uh, girls is having a discussion and, and asking about Oslin, the great lion, who is the representation of Jesus in the book. I know, spoiler alert, right? Um, and he says, well, is he safe? Is the lion safe? You know, this is really a question about God. Is God safe? And <laughs> the response is, safe? Not at all but he's good. If you're going to be in a relationship with the lion, be in a good relationship with the lion. Right? Now, do you have protection? Absolutely. Right? And the great thing about a lion, one of my other fun phrases that I heard a long, long time ago, uh, my senior pastor, when I was a youth way back in my teens, uh, Jake Beeley, Neighborhood Church, Castro Valley, the cathedral at the crossroads. You know, you drive through Castro Valley, you got the big three white crosses. He used to say, you don't need to defend a lion. You just got to open the cage. Lions know how to defend themselves, right? Theologically, that made some things click for me. I, I need not fight God's battles for him. If he wants to save you, he'll save you. I don't have to do that. Not my job description which is amazing because I just lost my job. Now I get to apply for a new one. 
My job is not to save you. Well, then I need to figure out what my job is. And that's where God started to say, well, how about you just get better at teaching? Oh, okay. Sounds fun. And now I'm in a good relationship with the lion. Right? Um, so don't neglect him. It just doesn't go well for anybody. Right? Uh, and then lastly, uh, be loud and alarming as you earnestly acknowledge his place. Be loud and alarming as you earnestly acknowledge his place. Right? Blow his cover. Make sure people know who he is, where he is, what he's like because of you. The way you sound, the way you carry yourself, what you do. Be verse 8. May your life be the dead center of the poem. Blow the horn, sound the trumpet, sound the alarm. Draw attention. People used to say uh, a while back, it was a, like a trendy phrase in youth ministry and Christian circles. Uh, we live to make him famous. I kind of like that. Now, does he need us to make him famous? No, right? Don't get too theological on this. But I can live in such a way that draws attention to him, makes him famous. Right? God wants us to uh, not just follow the landmarks, but you do that by yourself, then you're by yourself. It calls us to community, calls us to congregate. Right? Um, he tells us to witness, martyr. <gasps> have to die? No. Do you know what the word martyr means in Greek? It doesn't mean die. Or it doesn't mean die because you were good and you were persecuted. In fact, it has nothing to do with persecution either. Martos simply means witness. Now, it came to mean die for the good cause because... Too many witnesses were shot, right? And hence we got the phrase, don't shoot the messenger. A martyr was just a messenger with a witness. They had something to say, to promote, to make sure people knew. I love that the passage starts, verse 1. Oh, house of your king... That's cute. And then verse 15 at the very end, what does it say? I will again return to my place. Oh, you think you have a place. We get to the very end. He says, I'm going to show you my place. And dead center in the middle of verse 8, he says, this is how we do it. I think you're liking poetry a little more. I'm hoping. Uh, I trust that the poetry is drawing you back to the Lord. Um, did we say, may the Lord bless the reading of his word? Did we say that yet? No. no. Well, may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, what's your horn? Um, I don't have a trumpet, Scott. Go with the analogy. How do you do God? To where other people see. What are the landmarks around you? And let's be more um, clear. What are his landmarks 
around you? How can you honor him? What about God can you authentically seek? Those are fun questions, folks. Because you're about to get on the good side of the lion. Right? Now, change gears real quick. This is why you want to be careful when you read your Bible and you read through chapter 6 of Hosea and it's, man, this looks dark. Yeah, but it looks light too. There's good in it always. Amen? Got to look for it, earnest. Lord, thanks for this morning. Thanks for your word. Uh, thanks for your faithfulness. You call it covenant. Uh, thank you that it is towards us, meant for grace. Thank you that your son Jesus was perfect example of that and continues to be. And uh, Lord, I just ask for... Uh, for landmarks. Draw our attention to the things that you set in place, your definitions. Help us to be clear about you, Lord. If you're here this morning at, and you've been trying to move something, Ask God to stop it. Where does he want you to stay? Is there a landmark in your future that he wants you to get to? An open gate, an open door, a place he's taken you. Ask him for that. He may be um, moving you from a current landmark to a future landmark. God, give us that journey. We thank you, Lord, for Annie Mancini and the great reports of the successful surgery that she is talking and uh, interacting, and it looks like minimal effect. Long road to recovery, but... Thanks for loving her, Lord. We pray for this offering that we're about to receive and pray you would bless it. In your son Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, please continue to pray for Annie. Uh, long road recovery. She's going to be down in San Diego for quite a while. Part of that is the plan. Um, but uh, great things from Mike, her husband, and Caring um, Bridge has a blog if you want to follow that, and it's, it's kind of cool. Uh, may you always know his covering. Amen. Go with him. <laughs>